0: Hello everybody and thank you for tuning into the Liberty Report. With us today is Daniel McAdams, our co-host. Daniel, good to see you.
1: Happy Thursday, Dr. Paul. A little chilly out there this morning. Oh boy, (laughs) yeah. No walking for you, I bet.
0: (laughs) But no snow either.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thankfully. I'm
0: waiting for the snow.
1: skiing, Skiing, Skiing in Lake Jackson. Skiing in Lake Jackson. Our local Alps. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, we have our, some of our same problems still here, haven't gone away. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, we, we talked about uh, the data of 2014 and uh, that was when a coup occurred and NATO uh, decided to uh, get rid of a leader of Ukraine and this stuff all sprung up. But it was in that same year that the Russians were reminded about their history. About how often uh, they have been invaded by, and a lot of Russians been killed over the years, and and uh, and they had been promised that when the West, NATO, United States wouldn't be moving, not threatening, we're not going to move equipment and war warmongering stuff right up to the border. And of course, uh, that coup meant that, uh, that NATO was going to be much more aggressive. And that's when uh, Russia decided, well, you know, at least we ought to get back the Crimea. It, it was uh, traditionally Russian and that sort of thing. But that's that started the war. And uh, it's uh, been joined by so many other people, but mostly the people who have really joined against their wishes because they don't know what's going on are the American voter and the American taxpayer because it's America that runs the show, even though all the countries pay lip service to we have to stop the Russians, the Russians are coming, the Russians are coming. So it's been going on and on. And now, um, you, you know, uh, uh, the um, Ukrainians have had a lot of support uh, from the West, and a lot of weapons, especially from us. And uh, they, they, they say, well, we're just getting started because we're gonna get Crimea back again which is, um, you know, threatening words. It's a big deal. And I think even there's people in the uh, United States military that say, yeah, maybe that's a good idea, but it might be a bad idea too. (laughs) And and quite frankly, uh, it would be, Practically impossible because Russia would become more aggressive who knows what would happen, but it would be a major major step forward so but when Crimea's is uh, when when the uh, uh, Ukrainians uh, say this they they really are saying it for NATO. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's not like they're an independent nation I mean, they're the passes for the NATO yeah. and they do do what NATO wants. So they're they're saying it. So this is a terrible thing a terrible uh, threat and if they stick to their guns, which uh, there's a lot of people that want to, except for the soldiers in uh, Ukraine and the soldiers in Russia, uh, some of those might be getting pretty tired of this thing, and, yeah. uh, because a lot of people have died already, and we have a moral responsibility for a lot of that, because uh, uh, a lot of this wouldn't have happened without our urging and our money and our tanks and all the equipment that they need. But anyway, it's, it's a threat, but uh, my suspicion is is uh, that it's not coming soon, we're not gonna wake up in the morning and say, you know, the Ukrainians took back uh, Crimea. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think that's gonna happen, but it's gonna fester, and uh, it's not gonna be resolved s- shortly.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's really interesting because and that's why we chose this topic to start the show with, and you know, if we can put that up, this is from Politico, uh, and it really says a lot because, as you know, Dr. Paul, uh, lawmakers, Pentagon people, they'll say one thing when the microphone's on. But when the microphone's on, off and they're behind closed doors, that's when they will sometimes tell the truth. And that's what we're seeing here. This is from Politico. Ukraine can't take Crimea soon, Pentagon tells lawmakers in a classified briefing. Now, Someone leaked this. This was the House Armed Services Committee got a classified briefing to the Pentagon. And this is an absolute contradiction of the narrative. The narrative is Pentagon is, I mean, Ukraine is winning, just give them a couple of tanks, they're on their way, let them do the fighting, they'll knock back the Russians. Well, what they're saying in private is, look guys, this is really not what's happening. They're not gonna take Crimea anytime soon. And put the next one on, This um, this is a leak from that classified briefing. Ukrainian forces are unlikely to be able to capture Crimea from Russian troops in the future. Four senior Defense Department officials told the house armed services committee lawmakers the assessment is sure to frustrate leaders in kiev who consider taking the peninsula black one of their signature goals so this is kind of i think dr paul cracks that are beginning to appear in this edifice that's been carefully built this edifice of propaganda that's been carefully built there and as you know once the cracks start to appear as within the berlin wall once a crack starts to appear then soon the wall comes down. So they're admitting in private, look, guys, things are not going uh, like we're saying in public. This is going to be harder. Uh, in, in fact, it may not
0: happen. See, I think it's uh, some ambivalence here because uh, they, they talk tough. Uh, but some of the people that are involved, weapons manufacturing, uh, they, they don't necessarily, you know, look for, you know, a horrendous World War III. They're doing quite well by just stirring up trouble and uh, give them a little weapons here, blow them up, we'll build some more and on and on it goes. So it's uh, they think that uh, uh, the uh, that the the military industrial complex are are pleased with this. Others, though, especially some of the hawkish Ukrainians, they say, no, this is it. and, and then there's the people who d- diplomatically uh, have totally forgotten it. They want to forget about it because you can't have a limited war. And they don't maybe they don't want the big war is that they want this limited war. And uh, they're, they're, they're just allowing this to go on. And it's going to end badly. It's going to probably end when uh, uh, when it dawns on Americans that we can't afford this anymore.
1: Yeah, that, that could be the case. Uh, you know, this reminds me of, you know, we talked about this last week. We had an article up by Brad Pierce, uh, which was really interesting. And he made the great point, and He put it more succinctly than I'll put it here. I'll just summarize it. This is a contradiction in the narrative that, on the one hand, Ukraine is absolutely winning. There's no question about it. But if we don't get them more tanks and F-16s immediately, they're going to lose. And then the other one is that Russia is losing. Ukraine is getting creamed but if we don't stop them, they're gonna take all over Europe. Yeah. You know, So the contradictions in these narratives are so strong. And I think that's why it's important to see what they're saying behind the scenes. And so from this article, it says, well, this assessment is kind of echoing what General Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, who's in favor of this war, he, he, he hates Russia. He, he loves Ukraine. He wants to take Russia out. And here's what he said a few weeks ago, put this up. This is from the article. I still maintain that for this year it would be very, very difficult to militarily eject the Russian forces from, all, from every inch of Ukraine and occupied or Russian-occupied Ukraine, he said at a meeting of the Ukraine Defense Contract Group. That doesn't mean it can't happen, doesn't mean it won't happen, but it'll be very, very difficult. So in the face of all of this propaganda, the strong propaganda that Ukraine is winning, a, a slight voice of restraint like this infuriated Zelensky infuriated his government they went crazy they were furious with him but it kind of taxed with what this briefing was saying
0: right and and you know a lot of people are satisfied with this and they're 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 realistic about uh, even, you know, the military, and that's the theme of the whole article, is there you you better go a little slower because it might not be, uh, you know, snapping our fingers and and that's going to happen. But I think in in many ways, though, the one thing that they totally ignore, they talk about the military pros and cons and who's going to invade here and what's going to happen here and how are we going to rebuild the military of Europe that sort of thing, but where they really win is the uh, propaganda, uh, not just not just a local, uh, not just the uh, immediate propaganda, but the propaganda back there. You, you know, it, it's almost sinful yeah. if you say, "Do you think um, it would be fair if we looked at it?" from both sides. Look at it from the sides of the Russians. Why why do they do this? Why would they risk this war and this going on? And all of a a sudden, the history is different. And I still wanna do more work on that is to talk about Ukraine, Ukraine, Ukraine. But I wanna get more people talking about Ukraine before 2014. And uh, wh- why why that came about, and it has a lot to do with uh, you know the, uh, the 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 propaganda that they hide to generate NATO's position. Because uh, not many Americans would say, oh, you know what? Why why did NATO start this war? Why why do they participate? Why have they aggravated and stirred up all this trouble? And uh, it's, it's the Russians. The Russians invaded uh, Crimea. Yeah. Uh, it's it's that's that's it. But that's the. The short end, and they can use that propaganda and they get away with it, but they need to know not propaganda is always a negative term, but they need to know the truth about the history of the area that might help.
1: And it does have a lot of parallels with COVID, you know, because they... Uh, in public they'll say one thing but then sometimes they'll slip the mask will slip and you'll hear more they did that for a long time and they're doing it here and someone might ask well why are you guys talking about this are you somehow happy that ukraine's not winning and russia is winning no that's not the point the point is we bring this up because think of the incredible cruelty and cynicism if the experts quietly behind the scenes know that ukraine can't win yet they keep pouring weapons in pouring these young people and old people now into the meat grinder that they call Bakhmut and these other places. Think of the cynicism of people sitting in very comfortable offices around the beltway, knowing it won't do any difference, but pouring them in anyway, instead of encouraging some kind of settlement to this horrible, horrible war.
0: Yes, and I don't think that's coming soon because uh, there's total resistance to even... Even having a cup of coffee with one of them, yeah, you know, they yeah. they don't want to have any association that. And, and there's a there's a war group on each side. We have it because of the uh you, you know the deep state and the military industrial complex. And uh, and Russia has the same way. You know, uh, they they know what's going on. And if uh, if Putin would have said nothing, and they keep uh, disobeying and dishonoring their promises, that you know after after world war 2 and uh, and and meantime they have on that they that being nato and european said no we don't have any intention of doing this but two, 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 2014 was an eye opener to the russians that's when that's when they sort of crossed the line yeah. they talk about different places where they cross the line but that's a big deal and that's when uh, that's when uh putin made his move and uh but um it's, it's information they need, but uh, right, right now there's a lot of confusion, and uh, I don't think the average American has the, um, has a whole lot of interest in it. You, you know, this is so different than, yeah. you know, the, uh, the continuous war in the 60s because everybody knew somebody that uh, was killed over there.
1: And they actually had some reporting back then because now the media they just played the game they want to prop up this war machine you know the main problem here is that the neocons are still wedded to the brzezinski grand chessboard idea that we've got to take out the soviets you know he wrote it way back then that's why we created the mujahideen that's why we funded the mujahideen that's why we you know basically which became al-qaeda you know that's the unintended consequence we think unintended consequences they're still wedded to this idea and they're looking for any way they can take him down. I'm just going to finish with one thing, Dr. Paul, because there are a couple of quotes from Mike Rogers, who we know is an uber hawk. He's the chairman of the House Armed Services Committee, <laughs> an uber hawk. He almost beat up Matt Gates on the floor. He <laughs> he almost lost his wig. But put this up. This is a quote from him, because this is not in direct relation to that briefing. But he makes some fascinating quotes separately in an interview separate from this meeting. He said, that the war, quote, needs to end this summer. He said, there's a school of thought that Crimea has got to be part of it, that Russia is never going to quit and give up Crimea, said Rogers. Uh, Putin has got to decide what he can leave with and claim victory. And he said, here's, an, here's a, again another quote from the chairman of the House Armed Services Committee. What is doable? And I don't think <coughs> that's agreed upon yet. So I think that there's going to have to be some pressure from our government and NATO leaders with Zelensky about what does victory look like. And I think that's going to help us more than anything to be able to drive Putin and Zelensky to the table and end this thing this summer. And what he's saying here echoes what we talked about a couple of days ago, which is that new Rand Corporation study saying that this is not in our best interest to prolong this war. It needs to be over pronto. And I think roger's comments are really echoing that so i think even though it may seem subtle i think what we're seeing is a real shift even now among the elites in washington a realization that this is not going the way it should and it needs to end soon so well, that's probably a good sign
0: you know Zelensky, when he talks about uh, you know a victory and where are the lines we know what he wants yeah so but he has to have more weapons so now he's pushing for for these F-16, f16s yeah <laughs> and uh, the the whole thing is is even if he got the f16s when you read about the 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 native aspects of it in the sense that they're they're not going to accomplish the military operation oh, yeah. Yeah. because of well various things. You know the planes are so expensive. You need a lot of maintenance on them, and uh, it's it's not. And uh, the pilots runways aren't big enough. the The whole thing they're not going to win the war with this. But now they're concentrating on there. And every time there's something comes up, they they use uh, something that Russia did or said. The main thing is is we want more weapons. Yeah. And uh, but. Uh, you know it's it's just not not realistic so the military people it has to be pretty pretty bad for a military officer to say hey wait a minute you know when the pentagon cautions and say, hey you know this is no no easy trick for you that you guys are talking about and uh, none of the wars are ever as easy as they think they, yeah. you know they're already talking about the surprise remember this is one where they thought this was a 3 month deal or yeah. 1 month deal and now they're into the second year and uh, and it's messier than ever. It's a it's a, a bigger mess than it was when it was started. The started was you uh, you know, you know uh, just lining up the ducks. Yeah. It just, but a lot of grief has been created, and uh, a lot of people don't know about the grief that uh, we participated in. That's where I think we have responsibility. Yeah. Uh, uh, there, there's a lot that they should deal. The people there should make all the decisions. But because. It's our money and our decisions. Uh, I feel strongly that we still have uh, a right and, and a responsibility to say it. But I felt even stronger when I was in Congress because yeah. I was supposed to help, uh, help in in policy. But uh, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it, it's a real shame because uh, after all this year, things are a lot worse.
1: Yeah. You mentioned how they said it's going to be a couple weeks. You remember back in the Iraq war, this is going to be a cakewalk. It'll be over in a couple weeks and it'll pay for itself. It wasn't Richard Pearl who said that or someone like that. You know, they always say it's going to be easy. And then when it goes badly, they say, well, who saw that coming? Mission accomplished. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Mission accomplished. Well, here's the article we're talking about, if we can put that next one up. Now, this is from Remix and we saw it via Zero Hedge. Um, But it's really fascinating. Could Ukraine actually get f-16 fighter jets and we both liked this article because it was thankfully devoid of bombast it just looked at some objective realities about this and it seems like every time the mass slips and it, you get you get to see that things aren't going as well as advertised they come up with a new wonder weapon you know it's the high mars oh no it's the tanks oh no it's the f-16s this will finally do it this is a really important analysis i think and i'm not a military person so it's helpful to have these numbers if we can put this next one up he says a fighter bomber is so is completely different in every respect than the weapons promised so far, and this is a, the first point. Let's start with the price. The F-16 costs between 13 and 80 million dollars a copy, depending on the version, and its operating cost per hour is between 7 and 20 thousand um, dollars. That begs the question: What would be the purpose of these machines? Air superiority. And he goes on, for a modern fighter aircraft flying twice the speed of sound at Mach 2, a runway of one and a half to two kilometers kilometers long is essential. And he points this out. A runway is a large and immovable target, just like the Russian supply bridges were. Ukrainian air defenses are already struggling, and they would have to defend additional targets. And he goes on again here, because we're talking about sending a few F-16s. And this really puts cold water on this, if we can do that next one, because it continues. According to an article in Business Insider in December, Russia has so far deployed over 770 modern fighter bombers of the fourth generation or higher in Ukraine out of the 1,200 that they have available. To succeed against this significant number, Ukraine would need hundreds of combat vehicles. Let's face it, the chances of this are extremely slim. And one more, if we can, because he points out an important thing. And this is something that we really need to ponder. This raises the question that we have no good or morally acceptable answer for. What is NATO's plan? More precisely, what is the plan of the current U.S. leadership? Because Europe is irrelevant and militarily insignificant. And the final one, and we'll move on to the last one. I'm sorry to extensively quote this, but it's so important, I think. He said the prerequisite of any consistent military equipment support to Ukraine, whatever the numbers, should be to clearly define the strategic objective NATO has regarding the war and the two countries involved in it. We have yet to see that definition. And that is the big question. What is the strategic objective of our involvement in Ukraine?
0: Of course, they're, they're pretending that they're going to save the world and, you know, people think, well, maybe it won't be successful and it'll be just a dumb decision and some people die and we lose a lot of money. but. I think it 's much worse than that, because I, I think there 's a negative cause it 's not neutral it doesn 't say we do this and and no big harm has come. I think we 're less safe we 're much poorer, and uh, you know there 's more of a challenge for the dollar there 's always a negative the the positive never comes it 's not neutral it 's a negative and uh, and yes all done. And uh, it, it was—I found it disgusting, you know—in uh, the uh, in the debates that uh, you were held to uh, the uh, quality of, of whether you're patriotic or not yeah. to, to go to go along with this with, with this kind of thing. And yet, uh, it, it was in my view that uh, that, that it, it was more patriotic. To defend our liberty, but the excuse used to get just and it still gets to me yeah. that we have to be there for our national security purpose. We have to do there. I heard Pelosi say that I could believe <laughs> she was on the other side. Of that. We we do we uh, we do this to preserve our liberties. We make us say our country safe, and all these things that uh, we have an obligation, moral obligation, and how that's going to protect our constitution and make us safer is total nonsense. And you talk about lying in Washington, and there are some people who tell bald-faced lies, and they get into a lot of trouble. But they're always almost some of them are silly, silly fibs. But these are big fibs, and nobody talks about it because they all—not all—but so many of them participate in it. I mean, how how often does the military budget get passed? Uh, you know, without some bipartisan help, you know, they almost always get it. I can remember early on, back in the '70s, you might get six people that would challenge the military budget, and it's a lot better than that now. But it's it's still it's still uh, something that uh, pe- people, uh, you know. They, they see it as a patriotic thing and they have to do it and they compel them to do it and, uh, and they buy into it. Well, we have to be safe. We have to be safe. You know, the safety thing. And that, of course, is one of the, the worst uh, arguments because if a government decides it's going to make you safe from everything and uh it controls everything it's it's the motto for an authoritarian yeah making you safe exactly in their terms
1: well i think when the smoke clears and after americans see that the u.s military the u.s government has thrown literally everything in its arsenal into this (laughs) war and yet still loses which will happen i think there's going to be some questions asked why how can it be That we spend more than the next nine countries combined on our military yet spending all of this money all of these years has not produced a military that can win now we could say afghanistan 20 years against a pretty badly armed military and we still lost etc etc i think people are going to ask what are we paying a trillion dollars for every year if we can't even Win this war and i think the answer is going to be it's all corruption it's all smoke and mirrors it's all to get the well connected rich at the expense of everyone else yeah,
0: and of course i keep thinking this kind of thing would not be possible if you could not monetize debt yes and 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 us be the owner of the world reserve currency yeah. so there's there's a big economic element to this
1: the fed is key Well, our last story today is something I know near and dear to your heart, Dr. Paul, if we could put it up. You saw this this morning from the Daily Caller, and it's pretty interesting stuff. Uh, You'll never guess what state it's from, but here it is, exclusive. Med school went woke after pressure from a creditor document show. And we'll do the next one really quick because these are the facts of the case. University of Utah, we wouldn't expect that, School of Medicine, put in a bunch of programs after their accreditor demanded that they have more diversity, more this, more that, more the other, and they caved to it, and now the school has gone woke.
0: Yeah, they weren't woke enough, and uh, a a medical school or a college can't, be much worth much if you don't get a credit accredited and uh and this was the beef and all they have the inspectors out there there's national inspectors and the infiltration of the woke system uh, you know in almost everything in the school system uh whatever they're 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 involved but in this case they got up and they targeted this school and said that you know no no diversity you know, <laughs> it, well, you need to do this. But the, the, the thing of it is that it, it's sort of like people heard that kind of stuff under uh, COVID. And some people, you know, resisted and fought it and got help to get it changed. Other ones said, I'll do whatever you want, you know, and, and they, they they rolled over. And that's what this, this school has done. They just rolled over and say, oh, maybe, maybe we should be more cautious about, you know, uh, this this uh, accreditation and, and uh, having diversity. Well, maybe, you know, why do you have to sacrifice the whole position of uh, looking for medical students that did pretty well in college instead of excluding them. Yeah, you know, you know well, because well, we have to be, uh, you know, favorable. But it gets to be silly after a while. They say, and usually when they're talking about it, they have certain races they're talking about. But do you think they're they're really worried about making sure there's an absolute balance with the Chinese students, yeah. with, with the uh, Hispanic students, with uh, with the Japanese students, <laughs> with the Indian students? You know, that it can't be done. It becomes a you know absurd and it. Becomes Becomes a bureaucratic nonsense, and guess what? The quality goes down in in yeah. medicine. And uh, <clears throat> just think of the criminality during COVID, because the doctors that didn't fall flat on their face and, and say, "Well, we have to do what the woke people tell us to do," and uh, if 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 you don't do it, we c- they're still threatening doctors. That, yeah. uh, take your take their license away with it. Uh, one doctor tr- he practice medicine. Patients never complain about 40 years and they think they can come along and put this stuff out. People need to get a little more upset with it. So it really, some of the doctors fight back and there's groups and we try to help, but uh, what they need to do, just like the parents finally decided to stand up to it, there's no reason why the patients can't stand up. If they're losing their doctors for this nonsense, they ought to come to the defense of the doctor. But they they, they, they don't have any charges against the doctor. And uh, matter of fact, what we end up with, with government medicine, is a lot more abuse of medical care. And it, it, COVID was a good example yeah, of that. Perfect. The exactly. one thing that... Uh, it looks like it was very helpful. It was ivermectin. And then you become a criminal if you yeah. prescribed it, It, which is changing a little bit. But uh, just think of what they did to Trump because he suggested yeah. taking it. Yeah. I mean, it, it was totally insane.
1: I just think about that when the, the the quality of your care is less important than the color of your doctor's skin. I mean, that's crazy. What next? MCATs are racist. No <laughs> test. Just come right. on in. But You mentioned something uh, before we started about
0: this is that. You know why isn't private property solving some of these problems you know yeah you know, the the private property is the is the answer because there's not there nothing is going to be perfect so if if you and i were capable and at times there there still are a couple of private hospitals a matter of fact i have a grandson right now in a medical school that's totally private wow but there's not many of those left anymore but uh, then they make these those decisions and, and, uh, and, and be, because you don't have to go through the bureaucracy, it doesn't become politicized, and you don't have all this input and balances and and, and all the effort to have this perfect diversity. Uh, but by ownership, this is sort of like I think you could solve so many problems uh, with, with ownership. in a way, there was a time when ownership of your house said that uh, uh, it's, it's your house it's your castle yeah. and it's still there's a good sentiment out of that texas especially that it's your place and people don't aren't allowed to walk in yeah. and take over but why is the private property of a house still respected and they've transitioned this in but if you have the private property of a bakery you become a slave yeah No matter what nonsense, if it's nonsense and goofy, just leave them. No, we're gonna do this until we put you in jail because you won't you won't follow our orders and you will do this and you will promote such and such. And if private property would solve that problem because you don't have any right to come in here and tell me what I have to do. Yeah. If my if my customers or my patients don't like what we do, they go someplace else. But uh, no. They've they've destroyed the concept of private property. Matter of fact, I've argued for years we don't own our property, we just pay rent. Yeah, no and that's fitting. why even our housing well there's 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 already a lot of regulations on housing, you you know. uh, uh, Right now the plan is to put more on there through the position, uh, especially, uh, you know, dealing with rent controls. Oh, rent's too high. We got to control it. And everybody knows what happens. like in in new york area when the when the rent when (laughs) the rent was too low you know it it didn't it didn't work and they they don't understand and realize it's much better for the individual there's more competition and you will have more diversity everything gets better if it's done privately and voluntarily between two individuals
1: absolutely (laughs) well i'm gonna i'm gonna uh, close it out here dr paul and uh just to remind our viewers that uh, it's not a Ron Paul Institute event, but there's gonna be that big rally in DC. Get there if you can, we've gotta show strength. I was on the phone with Dennis Kucinich yesterday. He gave me a call and was talking about, he's very excited about speaking. And he said to me, this is our moment. We have got to do something. This is the first effort that he's seen to finally bring back together a coalition of left and right and beyond left and right, which is what we are. Um, so if you can make it out there, uh, show of strength. They're going to get noticed by a lot of people, by a lot of lawmakers. Uh, rageagainstwar.com, I think, is the website for more info, and I'll put it in the description. I'll be there speaking. Um, lots of great people. The judge is going to be there, uh, so it's definitely worth. It's time to raise our voices and put it an into this this war and into the madness dr paul back to you very
0: good no it's an issue that i've worked on for a long time and uh we had periods in washington if the republicans were in charge uh, you could work up a coalition with the Democrats more, so it's it's sort of there, and they don't mind too much doing it. But it's political, and that's that's the reason that uh, overcoming the politicization of all this is is difficult. Because we did have some uh, groups over those ten years or so that uh, you know the well actually those ten years went in, it went into closer to 20 especially in Afghanistan, on and on it goes. But there's there's answers to this and they're not complex and they're so easy and so wonderful if you have a position of non-interventionist foreign policy you obey the constitution there's a moral defense of this position and it's a it's a system that is uh, uh helpful and being corrective that you you really get a, get rid of this whole idea of monetizing debt So if you need war, if you couldn't monetize debt, it'd be over, you couldn't do it. People would have to donate their money, which they wouldn't do. There's no way that people are gonna donate their money to the cause of going over to Ukraine. Uh, 90% of the people uh, probably would have trouble finding where Ukraine was. So this uh, Ukraine. So this is um, this is something that uh, is available to us. This is why I think uh, uh, this coalition being developed. I hope uh, I hope you are able to support it. Because uh, it's one time. I like coalitions. I don't like. Um, I don't like the middle of the road uh, cooperation because both sides, you know, sell out and give up something they believe in. Coalitions, you don't have to give up anything. You know, you can have a disagreement on a certain issue, but if you agree the issue of war is bad, it should bring all progressives and liberals and Republicans and and conservatives and libertarians together and uh, it, it should be a strong moral principle and a constitutional principle that uh, can defend this and make people want, you know, they're on the right track and we need to do it. Hopefully we'll be able to say that because I see efforts now that, uh, that we are gently moving in that direction. But right now we're putting up with, uh, with a mess in Ukraine and that has nothing to do with uh, working, for, uh, working for peace.